On this uh, Wednesday in, in January, we have three different people I want to call to your attention. Um, Ann Peake, one of the elderly ladies in our church, is in hospice care at Pine Point. Pray for her children, George, Alan, Susan, there's a number of them. Uh, but um, they're taking good care of their mom. And Dallas Jones, one of the ladies in our church, had surgery on Monday, and she's recovering nicely. And Bill Meyer is one of the deacons in our church, and he is in the hospital in isolation, and um, they've been dealing with some leukemia issues, and um, the way they deal with that takes away your ability to fight off infection. So, uh, But we do need to pray for these people. Um, they really uh, need our prayers at this particular moment. So let me do that. <clears throat> Father, as we pray today, we come to you. We're mindful of many, many things that have gone on in our world during the time since we met last. And um, we think of this whole incident in France and pray for your comfort and pray for Christian people there that are seeking to uh, witness to the hope of eternal salvation that is in Christ Jesus. Uh, we think of our own missionaries, the Matt Singers, and uh, their long-term faithful ministry in France, and pray that you would help this to be a time of bearing fruit in, in that ministry. Comfort that nation. Give all the nations of our uh, world wisdom on how to deal with this uh, Islamic extremist and terrorist threat. Now, Father, we do pray that you would be with Ann Peake's family, that they would be able to have good moments, and they can round out this earthly relationship with this godly and dear woman that they have known as their mother and grandmother. Bless them. Be with Dallas Jones and help her to recover after her surgery, and may she gain strength each day. And we pray that you would be with Bill Meyer and his wife Becky, and especially that Bill can get the treatments that are necessary for his recovery. Father, we come to you in Christ's name for these are dear friends, and we would in Christ's name ask that you would heal these people. Now, as we look at your word, we thank you that you give us food to eat, and then you give us your word to, to feed upon that we may grow spiritually. And we ask your blessing on us in Christ's name. Amen. I'm going to read a, a story here from John chapter 2, earliest miracle of Jesus. It reminds me of uh, one of your former pastors and probably one of his all-time favorite family illustrations. But if you remember, the Baird brothers showed up in Gadsden, Alabama. And if you know the, remember the story... One of the men in the church ran the Coca-Cola bottling plant. And so as they were getting ready to go home, this manager of the Coca-Cola bottling plant gave each one of the boys a 24-bottle flat of Coca-Cola so that they could drink Coca-Cola. And I don't know if it was the next week or shortly thereafter, the Baird family was leaving church, and this man came walking up to the car, and the Bairds were 
imploring their children to thank this man for uh, giving them the Cokes. And so Jim said to him, well, boys, what do you say? And one of them, I think it was Jim, said, we're out of Coke. (laughs) Now, if I've heard that illustration and story once, I think I've heard it in about every southern state. When he has preached, he uses that one over and over again. But just a very simple request. He knew that man had Coke. And in an innocent way, he just said, we're out of Coke. Look at this story in the life of Jesus here. On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples. When they ran out of wine, the mother of Jesus said to them, They have no wine. And Jesus said to her, Woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour is not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Now there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rite of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, Fill the jars with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, Now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. When the master of the feast tasted the water, now become wine, and he did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, Everyone serves the good wine first, and when the people have drunk freely, then the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. This is the first of his signs that Jesus did in Cana of Galilee and manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. Now, John's primary purpose in writing this is to give us an accounting of one of Jesus' great miracles. And this miracle in John's gospel is the beginning of a series of what are called signs. In other words, when you see this, you're to see beyond what is just actually in front of you to understand that it has significance, it has a meaning. You go down the road and you see a uh, a sign, and it's on a post, and there's crossbars like this. What does it mean? A railroad. If you see one that's yellow and it's a triangle, you know it's a... and so on. We know what signs mean. Signs tell us something beyond just what's, what's the immediacy of this thing. Well, these signs were there in order that people would believe in him, and it's the first sign. They were gradual signs, and then they eventuated in after the resurrection where Jesus stands in front of doubting Thomas, and doubting Thomas is encouraged to put his hand in the side and the finger in the nail holes and no longer be unbelieving but believing. And what's doubting Thomas say? My Lord and my God. In other words, the signs had all led to their proper realization that the disciples and we are supposed to understand that Jesus is God. This is the purpose of this miracle as it's recorded here. Now, within the recounting of this miracle, 
there are many, many practical illustrations that are found in here of God's person, of what it means to be a faithful follower of Jesus, and the nature of prayer. And so as we look at this, we see that here is Mary, and Mary merely says to Jesus, in the form of a request, they have no wine. Now I want us to think about our own prayer life in relationship to this particular story, because to a great extent, our prayer life in many ways should mirror what we see taking place in, the, in this. When we pray to our God, we understand that we're praying to him, and he, we are told that we're to pray to him that he is our Father. Now, one of the problems that comes as a result of that is we think of our God as being our Father, and there, we kind of minimize it down to the Father level. And what we need to understand is when we pray to our Father, we're also praying to him as our God. The one elevates the other, and the other brings the one idea of the divinity of our Father down to a warmth and a welcoming that is a part of the natural life of prayer. We're to pray personally. Whenever we think that we're praying, we are to be praying and thinking personally about this. I'm a finite person. I am here. God is an infinite person. He knows what I need. He knows what I need in other parts of the city. He knows what I need with my sister in South Florida. He knows what I need with my children wherever they are. He knows because he is infinite. And he's infinite in his knowledge and he's infinite in his presence. Personally, I am a weak person. But when we look at God, our God is omnipotent. There are many things that I can't do. But there is nothing that I need that my Father can't accomplish. He is omnipotent. When we pray, we're to think of it this way. Um, you know, we only know things in part. We're finite. We only know just the little smattering of things that are the reality of, of life. But our God, our Savior, is omniscient. There is nothing beyond his knowledge, beyond his understanding, and, and so when we think of it, we're one kind of a person, but God is a person, but of an entirely different order. We're, we say, sinners, or we're sinful people. Our Heavenly Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, we know is most pure, and the word that the scriptures speak of that is that he is holy. But we're people, persons. We have this nature in our Heavenly Father, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, personally is vaster than we are. And we pray to him, though, we pray to him as one person to another person. Today there's a problem. When we get into so much of what we see going on today in people's either uh, American Christianity or folk Christianity, or even like some of the Eastern religions, you, you know, folk Christianity today, how do they refer to Jesus? 
he's the man. Yeah. That's just not right. And when we think of it that way, we're not going to think that much is going to happen there. When, when Eastern people, in a sense, meditate, they meditate to make themselves one with the universe, and the universe is God of which there's a part, and there's logically, would you pray to yourself for something that you need? Well, no. Well, this is the nature of, 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 of Eastern meditation. But this pervades our thinking. I remember one time I got myself into a lot of trouble. Are you surprised? Um, this, this man was at a church gathering. It was a meal. <clears throat> and he was praying. And when it was all over, very, very proper prayer. And I went to my friend Norman. And I said, Norman, you know, this is a Christian gathering. You're trying to build a Christian relationship between us and the community and the college here. Yeah. I says, you never mention Jesus' name in this prayer at all. Well, initially, he was incensed. He was put out. But after a period of time, by the way, Norman's now a Presbyterian minister, and, and he has come to appreciate that that was called to his attention. We're persons. We're praying to the person of God, and we're praying personally. We need to understand that as we pray like this, the person we're praying to, God, our Heavenly Father, loves us. And not only that, but he's devoted to leading us. He's devoted to leading us all through our lives. You know, you read the scripture, and I'm encouraging you from last week uh, to think about reading the scriptures. So one young lady was in my office today, and she says, you just advocate reading scripture. I said, yes, I, I've got a goal during this year, a minimum of six chapters a day. That's, that's the goal, just the minimum. I'm going to read that every day. And I said, we need to read the scriptures. We need to know the stories. We need to keep them fresh. We need to keep them familiar. But as you're reading the scriptures, you constantly come across the names of the people that are a part of the scriptural stories. And as you're reading them you're beginning to see that almost every one of these people you're going to come across in there is going to be praying. And how are they praying? Well, they're praying to God. And then you have things like the books of Psalms and other places where you have that God gives them, and it's written down for us, the answer that they received for the prayer that they made. And so when we look and we see these illustrations over and over in the scriptures, we see that these people, these characters of the scripture, realize that they are greatly loved. And they understand that their lives are lives with limitations, and they need to be led. And over and over again, we see that these people are receiving the guidance and the leading that they need in order that they live a abundant life, a rich life, in a life that's useful to others and useful to, for God's honor and glory. But it just comes out that way over and over again. God loved them. God led them. 
They prayed to their father. Their father in heaven heard them. Their father in heaven answered them. And their father in heaven blessed them. Now, when we see these prayers in Scripture over and over again, and this particular prayer is one of them, our prayers don't change God. God is not a person that changes. We're told that in the Scripture just clearly over and over again. We have doctrines that are built upon the immutability of God. Our prayer does not change God, but our prayers do change things. And our prayers do actually result in the change of circumstances in our life, and they change them for good. Mary's sitting here, and what is the situation? She looks out there. This would be just like things that go on in your life and in my life every day. They've run out of wine. This is a really big deal. And Mary doesn't want to see anybody embarrassed. She realizes they're in a predicament. Don't you get into predicaments? You are in situations in your life. Now, notice that Mary doesn't go into some esoteric form of address. She doesn't go through some kind of ritual of... Uh, bringing her requests before Jesus, she just basically makes a statement to Jesus, they have no wine. Now that sounds just like you and me going through our day. And we should feel that this is exactly the way we should be dealing with things. Uh, what did Jesus, or what did Paul say? Let your requests be made known unto God, and the peace of God which passes understanding will keep your heart and minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Pray without ceasing. These are the kinds of things that, that, that Paul is advocating. So we see that these prayers resulted in change. What happened? All of a sudden, you've got six stone pots, 20 or 30 gallons each, and they were filled with water. The water became wine. Did something change? Well, you say, absolutely, something changed. Well, did Jesus change? No, Jesus didn't change. We didn't change God. Did something that was almost unthinkable, uh, beyond our comprehension, happen? Well, yes, it did. That water became wine and met those people's immediate needs. Jesus did that. He answered the prayer of his mother Mary. Uh, Jesus is our elder brother. He tells us that his father, we're to dress as our father. There is the intimacy that is related to Mary being the mother of Jesus and Jesus being her son, to our being the children of our Heavenly Father in his being our Heavenly Father, in that intimacy and that ability to speak plainly uh, then exists. Now, we see that, again, that prayer changes things in our world, and in, in our world needs to be changed in many ways. I think of in 1 Samuel chapter 2, 1 and 2, there's the story of Hannah. And here is this godly woman, and this godly woman has no son. 
And she is in agony over what this means that she has no child and in particular that she has no son. And it is a huge burden on her life. She goes to the temple and she pours out her prayer to God and what happens? Well, in this case, within a short period of time, she has a son, a great man, a man that we know as Samuel is born to this woman. We would think that if she didn't pray, we think if Mary wouldn't have asked for wine, there might not have been a Samuel, and there might not have been a miracle. But because there was prayer, simple prayers about the things of life. Now you think, well, it's just a simple prayer about things of their life. Okay, it is a simple thing about prayers of their life. But almost everybody knows the story of Hannah. And if we read the story of the birth of Jesus and we see Mary's prayer, Mary's prayer follows the outline and pattern of the prayer of Hannah in 1 Samuel. So this simple prayer becomes this big thing in the life of the scripture, which becomes an even bigger thing in the life of the church. And we see this in relationship to the birth of of Samuel. You look and see that these things happen quickly. You know, God, you don't change God, but God answers our prayers. So here comes another couple. This couple's named Zacharias and Elizabeth. Now, from all that we can tell about their prayer life, they prayed for a very long time. Now, notice that that what was said in Scripture of them, wasn't this, someone was talking about... uh, tombstone uh, sayings this morning Uh, as I was leaving the house that was being talked about and what if on your tombstone my tombstone we could have written what was said of Zacharias and Elizabeth righteous in the sight of God wow but righteous in the sight of God this couple was and they prayed for a very long time and they got no answer to their prayer now Mary made a simple prayer. She didn't tell Jesus what to do or how to do it, and it was done. Zacharias and Elizabeth spent a long period of time praying for something that they wanted to see done, and they apparently left it with God, and they moved on with their life, and they lived by faith in a relationship of a a spiritual child to their God, and eventually... The angel comes and says what to Zacharias? Your prayers have been answered. Now, it didn't happen when they prayed. Um, It happened a very long time after their prayer. They may have even stopped praying about this. And you may stop praying about things. And you may find somewhere down the road, God answered my prayer. I stopped praying about this two, three, four years ago. But God answered my prayers. We pray. We spread our situation out before the Lord. Um, There are life situations that were against these people. There are life situations that come in and out of our day-to-day existence that would reflect that there are things in this current order and state of affairs that appear to be against us. 
But these people saw themselves as the friends of God. That's what you see about these people. Over and over again, you have this sense that they felt that God was their friend. If God was for them, who could be against them? And so they expressed whatever the life situation was that was against them to their heavenly father. And we see that things change. These people whose lives were limited, God was infinite. God was personal. God was powerful. God was holy. God was all-knowing. They took their problems to God. Now, we've got a problem today in that, um, you know, I, I can remember being in my first church in South Alabama. And we had a fair number of young people in there and parents of young people that were in high school. And I said, you want success for your children in this world? I got some heads up. I says, I can tell you a vocation they can go into. They'll thrive. What's that? I says, well, they just need to go into counseling or psychology. They'll never want for money if they're any good at it. Isn't it the truth? You, can you think of how many psychiatrists, psychologists, and counselors there were when you were young? Well, you'd have had to go around town and ask five or six people before they could tell you that they even could think of the name of one of them. Today, there's a shingle on every corner. Why? People don't know what to do with the life crises that they're with. Prayer has become something that's beyond their capacity. These people knew that God was their friend. In, 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 Paul says, let your requests be made known unto God. And that's what they did, what people that were in the generations before us did. They took their problems to God and they left them there. There are things that are against us. Our Father's for us. Again, some prayers answered immediately. Some answered at God's own, what kind of time is it? Sweet time. And whenever the prayer comes, it will be a sweet time. This is faith. Mary simply prayed, they have no wine. There was nothing more she needed to say. She left this with Jesus, and Jesus took over from there. Zacharias and Elizabeth prayed, and apparently beyond all hope, stopping praying. But God, in his sweet time, answered them. Now, we are to pray. What did Jesus say about this? Again, all of these multiplied counselors. Jesus taught this. We have not because what? We ask not. Now, this is a very simple thing. Mary merely asked, merely made known the life situation. Chips got us every week filling out how many times did you spend so many minutes a day in prayer. That's a hard thing to say. Sitting down formally and just praying, it's like an accordion. Sometimes there's less in a day in the morning or something. Uh, sometimes there'll be 
two or three sections of time during the day when you pray. And then there's sometimes when, well, especially in the last number of days, it feels like all I've done all day long is pray because of the nature of the way I'm praying. But we're to pray. We're to ask. We're to spread these things out before God. And God's going to answer these prayers. We're told by Paul, pray without ceasing. One of the things that Paul shows us that there may have been some orderliness in this. I did a little word study on this last night, and I really wasn't satisfied with the results of it. I'm not sure that it says anything or not. Maybe. Uh, One of the commentators seemed to think it did. But Paul says, we prayed for you morning and evening. Day and night, we prayed for you. Now, the typical way of of structuring of prayers in the old ancient world was there were morning prayers, there were evening prayers. There were morning sacrifices, there were evening sacrifices. And apparently, Paul is reflecting that of of a level of, of concrete orderliness in his praying for these people in these churches. There's another way of looking at this. In uh, Deuteronomy chapter 6, it says you're to talk about these things all throughout the day. And then there was another way of talking about like day and night. There was a phrase that went through the whole Old Testament from Dan to Beersheba. Those were the two extremes of the nation of Israel. If you said from Dan to Beersheba, you weren't talking about something that happened in Dan and something that happened in Beersheba. You were talking about the whole country. And so when Paul says day and night, he might mean what we say. You know, I've been working day and night. Does that mean I only worked in the first part of the day and the night? No, it was working constantly. Something's going on here to tell us, though, we're to pray. Some of our prayers are going to be routine. Now, I, I pray every week out at the village. Uh, we have a, a Bible study, Vespers, on Sunday afternoon. Now, I pray similar prayers almost every single week at the village. One of the reasons, the things I want to inculcate in the people in the village is they need to pray some of the things that I'm praying. I pray every week out there, almost without fail, that our children, our brothers and sisters, would come to believe. Now, how important is that to some of those people in their 80s and 90s at that Presbyterian village? How many of them do you think have given up on that? I'm reminding them we don't give up on it. We pray for it over and over again. So they're somewhat routine. Now, right now, with Bill Meyer and dealing with leukemia, and sometimes this happens with others of you, in all different frames of references in the, in the human relationships that I'm involved with, I find that some of my prayers are almost Olympian. I just find that all I'm doing is praying, praying, praying for these things and asking that God would be merciful to these people, that God would give wisdom to these doctors, that he would make the medicines effective. Over and over again, 
just praying. This has been a, a, a week of that. So we pray in different ways, but we have to continue to pray and to pray. When we read the scriptures, we need to think that as we read them, we're hearing God speak to us. When we pray, we need to think that we're speaking to God. And what we need to think about is that this is a dialogue. This is a relationship. This is a sweet relationship of people who care, care for one another. In the life of faith, this dialogue goes on and on between a heavenly father and its children. There are times, especially on the Lord's Day, or in meetings like this, when a prayer like that's found in Colossians chapter 1 for a church. And so Paul in that prayer is praying not so much for individual Christians as he is for a local body of believers. And when we pray those kind of prayers, what we're doing is we're reflecting a relationship. I, God, am praying for the things that I know that you're concerned about. You're concerned about this church, that certain things would be realized in this church. And we pray that way. And, and we should. But we also need to see that when Jesus comes to us and says, you have not because you ask not, that God's concerned about what our needs are. And so there is a sense in which in this relationship of prayer, we pray for what God's concerned about. And he hears us, and he delights that we're praying about things that he's uh, concerned with. But then what we do is we turn around and we pray about things that we're concerned with directly. And we need to know that God delights to hear us pray and bring our weakness and our lack and our want before him. And he delights to hear those prayers and he delights to answer them and provide for us according to his riches in Christ Jesus. And it's a relationship. It's this dialogue. It's between people that love one another. Emotions come out in prayer. Just in closing, Job's angry. He's frustrated. He's confused. And he's indignant. And from what we understand, all of that was okay. If you look in, in, in Hannah, Hannah, when she prayed, she was so put out, it gave the appearance that she was drunk. That's how emotionally she was involved in that prayer. That was okay. I thought the movie was over. <laughs> well, the goal... The goal is that your Heavenly Father wants to hear you pray. This is a new year. I want you to read the scriptures more. And I want you as a child of God to talk to your Heavenly Father more and more about every dimension of your life. Let's pray. Now, Father, as we look at this, we're mindful that we all need to live by faith and live in dependence and as we live by faith and we live by dependence we demonstrate this to your glory as we pour out our need before you we do this as we talk to you
about the advance of the gospel. Help us to balance these things. Help us to see the urgency of these things. And help us to shine like lights because we have a great confidence that our lives have a great foundation because you love us and you're going to lead us and you're going to take care of us. We pray in your son's name. Amen.